Forward fanatics, you have come to the right place. This is the Story Forward podcast, season four, season three. Fourth season. season three, our season fourth season, yeah. Three. I'm going to do this the entire <laughs> season. I am Larry Rosen. He is Hi. Christian Christian Wynn, co-host. I'm going to let him talk for himself. Yeah. So this episode, this is, so I think, um, as you know, this is a different sort of season where we've got storytellers and a little bit of commentary, but this is another unique standalone episode recorded at last year's Story Fort slash yes. Tree Fort. From um, the official podcast stage. In the official the Boise podcast center. <laughs> at the overwhelm, somewhat overwhelming Boise stage. Uh, this was sort of a solo trip for me. I interviewed Boise Hawks general manager, Mike Van Heis, one-on-one. Uh, and what are the Hawks? The Hawks are a single A baseball team, professional baseball team. Uh, independent league, do not have a big league affiliation. At least they didn't when I talked to Mike. Yeah. I don't think they have now. I don't think so. Um, it was a great conversation to learn the ins and outs of uh, what it means to be uh, an executive of a minor league baseball team. I'd always been curious. Uh, there were some surprises for me. And um, I don't know what else uh, needs to be said about this. Mike, uh, big Boise city booster, not from here, but really likes it here now and really has taken to it. Yeah. Um, you guys get into like where he's from and all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. We stuff? talk about okay. where he's from and we talk about his path to, uh, I think his path for me was a little surprising because it wasn't the usual, like I love baseball, I just want to be part of baseball. Hmm. He was just like, I love sports. I want to be involved in sports. That's cool. Um, and to find out that a minor league general manager maybe isn't the job that you think it is. I bet. I'm curious to uh, take this in myself because you, I was uh, I was not, not able there. to attend because nope. I was running around running Storyport and yes. a, we had 75 events, this being one of them <laughs> um, one. in five days for us. Less um, than 1% of the events. <sighs> so let's yeah. just go right to that interview. It also is a little bit long. It's, it's probably about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Uh, settle in. Uh, if you, like me, are fascinated about the inner workings of minor league baseball, uh, this is a good one for you. Started. <clears throat> Mike, welcome. Uh, I want to start by saying many times in my life, I have gone to a minor league game, and you know how you see that kid, that 23-year-old kid who's out there doing everything? Mm -hmm. He's taking tickets, he's out, he's, he's racing the mascots. <laughs> He's singing the national anthem, and I thought, geez, if I could turn back time, I would be that guy. So imagine how I felt when I heard you on a podcast and you said, you know, I'm not really a baseball fan. I'm more of a basketball fan. So let's start at the beginning and talk about the role sports played in your life before you got into sports. Okay. Were you a participant in sports in high school? Uh, I was not good enough to play for my high school team, but we, I played football in high school for a year. Um, I played basketball. Uh, with a rec league um, when I was like eight all the way to 18. I actually coached in the same league for a couple of years after. Um, we just wanted to give back. I didn't have a kid in the in the program. And mm -hmm. so um, coached in basketball has always been my passion when I was when starting very young. It would go basketball, baseball, and then football. And then it's kind of every year has kind of switched and, and depending on whether or not the Mets are Bad or very bad is where does baseball kind of <laughs> land. <laughs> so you guys might have guessed Mike's not from Idaho. Tell no. us where you're from. Uh, I was born in Tom's River, New Jersey. Um, so it depends on 
certain words you might see that accent pop out from time to time yeah, yeah. but uh it was in tom's river i was there for 30 years moved to uh georgia for two and then moved out here six years ago and which doesn't add the 40 so i've got to figure <laughs> out how that worked <laughs> i actually and i actually looked up um so far you haven't made the list of notable people from tom's river new jersey but there's still time there is very much time but I'm, al lighter is from tom's river new jersey al lighter uh, uh frazier todd frazier yeah um I went to high school with Frankie Edgar, who was a UFC champion. Um, so I'm the fourth uh, most prominent sports yeah. figure to come from but Tom's River, New early. Jersey. It's way early. There's still super time. early. What was your level of fandom back then? Uh, I would put it somewhere between fanatic and super fan, okay. um, especially for the Knicks, uh, because basketball was number one. It was Knicks. Mets and then Patriots and I was crazy about sports. I mean growing up I was crazy about sports. My family was crazy about sports. It was on TV all the time. We would go to as many games as we could as a family. Um we would you know, I was always wearing a, a Mets shirt or a Patriots jersey um or a Knicks hat. Uh, we played basketball. My father uh would work until about three o'clock in the afternoon. I would come home from school and then he would pack up my sister, my brother, myself in the pickup truck. We'd head up to Skyview Park and we'd play pickup basketball. Pretty competitive pickup basketball, actually, uh, until the sun went down. And sometimes if the lights worked, we would play until the lights went on. So sports was huge in my family. Well, but so most sports fanatics, when they're teenagers, um, if they're playing on a team or they, they think in terms of, you know, sports is my life now. I wish sports could always be my life. I'm going to play in the big league someday. But you just described yourself as someone who wasn't very athletic. Right. So at that age, was there any sense that I could make sports my life someday? Or was it even on the radar? It wasn't even close to the radar. Okay. Um, I realized at a very, very young age that um, for basketball, which is probably the sport I was the best at um, of the three, that I wasn't going to get to six seven six eight where i needed to be i was kind of stuck at six foot uh, once i got to where i was it was just like i kept pushing really hard to try to get a little bit taller <laughs> and it just wasn't going to work out um it wasn't until uh late in my college career not even really right after i graduated college um was a time where actually a, a sports career and actually i took the job i took the internship just kind of on a whim yeah so i want to back up a little bit so in college though you were very active in, um, I guess, po politics. Yeah, I was very active in politics. I was working for campaigns, um, doing a lot of field work, um, mm -hmm. a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone banks. Um, don't worry, work for both sides. Whoever was paying the best was who I was going to be working <laughs> for. I was a hired gun. Um, I didn't lean D or lean R when it came to work. Um, but you took leadership positions too. Yeah, I was a campaign manager for the mm -hmm. last couple weeks of a congressional campaign. Um, as kind of the de facto guy, we were kind of like, Hey, if you guys lose by 30 points, we were running against like a 28 year incumbent. I'm like, Hey, if you guys lose by 30 points, we might run a, might like throw a parade for you. I think we lost by like 28 points. So <clears throat> still and, waiting for that parade. And even before that though, when you were in school, you were on the Greek council and weren't you, you were in student government. I was a student government. I was uh, president of the inner, uh, Greek council for two years. I was vice president for a year. By the way, I forgot to tell you we're fraternity brothers. Really? Yes. I saw that in your bio. So all right, let's get some, let's we'll get some beers over here. We'll save that for later. <laughs> it doesn't look like a friendly audience, but, um, but so you were active. So at that point, 
what were you thinking? You were thinking of going to law school at that point? I was thinking about going to law school. To um, what end? To the end of applying and being, No, no, I mean, what, what, was the, what, what was the track that you thought that would lead to? I don't know. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer, and <laughs> that's what it really came down to. I didn't really, I wasn't really even finding the, the, the portion of law. It wasn't going to be a, I wasn't thinking sports agent. I wasn't thinking sports lawyer. I was just thinking, go to law school. I'll figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I d- opted very early in the after taking the LSATs twice and not doing as great as I would hoped I would have done that. Hey, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take a step back, recharge the batteries. Um, there was a minor league baseball team where just where I grew up that had opened while I was in college, um, had an opportunity available. And uh, as crazy as it sounds, it was for baseball operations, which I thought at the time that's when Moneyball came out. And I was reading Moneyball by Michael Lewis. I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great to. I'm pretty good at math. I'm no MIT guy, but maybe I could help out and get the, you know, get working into the the inner workings of baseball, signing players, hiring players, developing, et cetera. And when I went in for my internship, I realized very quickly that baseball operations at the minor league level meant plunging toilets, (laughs) changing changing uh, paper towels, cleaning up puke. Um, so you got to be that kid I described. No, I didn't get that job. Oh, you didn't get to be on the field. <laughs> I didn't get that job. Up the fans. I, uh, I ended up getting a group sales position with the same team. And, um, and as I say, that was 18 years ago. Fell in love with it on the first couple weeks. In Lakewood, New Jersey. Lakewood, New Jersey. The is Blue Claws. The, is that where the Hindenburg crashed? Yes, it is. Okay. Good. That was Lake Hurst, which is oh, Lake Hurst. Okay. Yeah. And just as a little sidelight here, yeah, tell Hindenburg. me, and I, I'm, I'm playing off the, the podcast I heard you on, tell this crowd of Idahoans, Idahoans, thank you. Idahites. Idahites. Are there any misperceptions about New Jersey that you'd like to clear up right now? <laughs> well, I'm from a really weird part of New Jersey. New Jersey is like 13 different states. It truly is. Um, there are the unsafe parts, certain cities that we don't need to name just because they know where I live. Um, I grew up, if anybody's seen the Jersey Shore, the TV show, that's where I grew up. I don't sound like Snooki. I'm sorry. My brother likes to call her Nicole um, because they've they've had interactions before. Um, And we're not as mean as as it is, as we probably portray ourselves to be. Um, There's also the Sopranos part of New Jersey. Like everybody's perception of New Jersey, especially on this side of the country, is just like what they see on TV. Um, Yeah, Camden and Newark are bad. Um, the Sopranos area is like the Sopranos area, but I'm in a nice little beach yeah. town, grew up. It's way closer to to the Idaho style that I Good. really... Uh, I, I wanted to give you a chance to clean up perceptions that, that New Jersey's <laughs> a roving meatheads, you know, everywhere. <laughs> um, but you are... There really, are roving meatheads there. <laughs> but you are really far from home living out here. Quite. And and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but so what? how has it been adjusting to living here? And you also have... Uh, you, I think you occupy an unusual place here because you're a semi or public figure and part of your job is to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. But I would say the odds are probably pretty good. You're not going to live here forever. I don't know. I really like it here. Good. good. Um, I, I really have a, have a cus- have, um, have become accustomed to Boise. And was there a culture shock? shock? Probably not. I was probably more... 
um, in tune with the Boise style and Boise way of life. See, I say it right. Um, so the transition from New Jersey to Augusta, Georgia was much harsher than the, the adjustment from New Jersey to, right. to Boise. Let's get to that. But first, tell everyone. So your first job after you were an intern and had plunged all the toilets <laughs> was in sales. Correct. Describe what that job was. So my job was we had picnic areas and we had uh, Little League fundraisers. Um, it was just reaching out to companies and reaching out to groups and having them come out as a group, as, you know, have a night out at the ballpark. Um, that transitioned into season ticket sales, which was package sales and half and full season plans um, with the Blue Claws, which then transitioned into corporate sales, which was sponsorships, which then transitioned into I say transition as like I got to drop the group sales and add. No, just it was just added, more, added more. It was like hungry, hungry hippos when it came to job titles um, and then picked up game entertainment. So was I the guy out on the field getting everybody riled up? Yes. Eventually. Have I been the mascot? Yes. A Which, lot. Wait, OK, back up. You got to be the mascot. <laughs> were you a, were you a, a blue claw or were you a green jacket? Uh, I had was both. Um, I have a great green jacket story. Um, the blue claw was not a crab. Yeah, it was just would have scared the kids too much. Um, do, it was do, a giant yellow it buster. Do you know the San Francisco Giants had a crab as their mascot? Did they really? In the in the mid eighties, I don't know if anyone would remember that. You have to be a pretty intense baseball fan to remember that old. <laughs> but um, it was designed to be hated. Crazy crab. He would come on the floor on the field, and people would throw garbage at it. It didn't. It lasted one season. But it was this sort of counter <laughs> counterintuitive idea of, of a mascot. But well, here's the Augusta San Francisco tie in. I was supposed to be the bee Augusta, the Augusta green jacket for the 2014 San Francisco World Series parade. And what happened? We lost it. Uh, well, we didn't lose it. The, the airline lost it um, to the point where we. Uh, so we showed up in San Francisco, looked for a big bag with a bee in it. B wasn't there. We waited, we waited, we waited. Finally, we, sh we just went to the parade. We said we'd figure it out after the fact. Is the green jacket supposed to have do a double meaning? Well, Augusta. When you said jacket. it was a green jacket, I thought you were just the guy who won the Masters wearing the green jacket. No, it's a B. Yellow jackets are huge in Augusta. Mm -hmm. So it's a yellow jacket wearing a green jacket. His name's Augie. And the, yes, there's a double so, on yeah, top. Yeah, okay. You got to tie it in. So Super and, creative over there. <laughs> So as your responsibilities are growing, um, how much baseball do you get to see? Um, I actually counted. Um, I believe my in-person baseball games will get very close to 1,000 this year. Nice. Um, so do I get to watch a lot of the game like here in Boise? Not really. Kind of running around, um, making sure everything's going good. The, one of the things you could see if you guys have seen me at the, if you've been to a game, I don't stand still very much. I kind of keep track I, with my Apple watch and you can just watch me as I kind of just go back and forth, left field, right field, left field, right field, left field, right field, and just kind of make sure it doesn't break. That's not, it's not a Billy Bean thing where you're too nervous to watch? That was during the championship. Mm -hmm. During the championship, uh, when we made our championship run last year, um, we were in Ogden for the, uh, for the divisional, divisional championship game. And there are points where I just couldn't watch. And I left and got to picked up the team meal. I could have sent an intern. I could have sent someone else. I was like, I, I, I can't watch this anymore. So I had to go drive down and got Chick-fil-A. <laughs> to come back, we get, I, I leave and we're down a run. 
I come back and it's tied. And it was like the eighth inning. And then we went to 12, 12 or 13. We went to 12 or 13 innings. And in our league, we don't have extra innings except for in the playoffs. Mm. So this was the only extra inning game in the entire season. And you could just see, I mean, I was just, I, I kind of walked. I feel bad for Ogden because there's probably, you know, just the, the concrete's all worn out from where I was walking back and forth. Pacing is what I would like to call it. So when you won, mm-hmm. how did that feel? Other than, I mean, great. Yeah, great. The champagne in your eyes does not feel great. <laughs> you did the goggles. <laughs> it was a relief more than anything else. It, it was, was a relief. It was watching this team, um, especially this past year, watching this team kind of come together. We started very bad. Um, if you came out to games, I think we started either 3-15 and 15 or 5-18. and 18, And for the first time ever, I in my entire career, I had some sort of responsibility here. You know, when we were in affiliated ranks, whether it was the – with the Rockies or the Cubs or when I was with the Giants or the Phillies in years past, you know, if a fan was walking out, it was like, you guys stink. It was like, well, I don't know. Call Colorado. Like, I don't know. And we stunk for a long time here, as you guys know, especially with Colorado. And for the first time ever, this was a team that between Gary and the coaching staff and myself kind of put together and kind of built. And so you got to know these guys personally, got to know their stories. And looking back on it, it was like a true – true personal connection to these guys. Um, and so it affected me. You know, it affected me personally. It was like I really wanted to win this one. I really mm-hmm. felt like we had a we had a great team together. Um, just watch this team. We started with 25. Of those 25 guys, even the ones that were in that 3-15 and 15 start, and after the game sitting down with Gary in the manager's office, and Gary's forgotten more about baseball, the X and the O side of it, than I'll ever know. And saying, hey, we're 3-15, and 15. and they're like, what do you say? What do you say to a guy that's been doing it for 30, 40 years? But then 12 of those guys, or 13 of those guys, ended up on that final roster. So you had that much turnover during the season? We had the least amount of turnover in the entire oh, okay. league. But Gary and myself and the team said, here, here's some rope for the, for the players at 3-15. and 15. You can either hang yourself or you can climb yourself out of this hole. 13 of them climbed themselves out and 12 ended up going somewhere else. Well, why don't you explain to us the, so you became unaffiliated. uh, Was that in 20 for the 2021 season for the 2021 season? So it was 2020 was kind of besides all the other things that were happening. Yeah, We'll, we'll get put a pin in that, but um, (laughs) we got pins everywhere. We got throwing pins. (laughs) Um, Start by explaining the difference between being affiliated and being unaffiliated. And then if you could segue into how you chose a team once you were unaffiliated. The big difference, you know, we were, especially at this league level, um, because everybody in our league, every team in our league was one of the 42 that got cut by minor league baseball or by major league baseball by Rob Manfred. And nobody knew what they were doing because everybody had been affiliated. And affiliate just means, hey, the Rockies are going to send you their coaches, their training staff, their medical people and their players, you don't have to worry about anything. Mm. Just make sure they got a bus when it gets here and a hotel to stay in. Can you do trades and, and release people and sign people under that? When agreement? we were affiliated, no. Everything came from Colorado. We'll just use Colorado as the example. So I'd get an email and be like, hey, we need this guy on the at the airport tomorrow. They book the flight. We just got to pick up the player and take him to the airport. Or, hey, this guy's coming in here. Um, go pick him up at the airport. His flight's at 2 o'clock. 
that's how we got, that's how our roster was constructed. Um, what was great about that was there was an unlimited source of baseball players because mm-hmm. the Colorado Rockies had 200 players in their system. So if our second baseman breaks his leg, second that guy's gone. We don't know where he goes. He goes to the, to the great yonder, and three second basemen show up on the next plane. But one thing I'm thinking of, too, was in that scenario, if you have to release someone, it's not really your fault. Right. Yeah, we had no response. When, when guys got on planes here, they were either going up or they were going home. But in an independent situation, if you release someone, you made that decision. We made that choice, correct. Yeah. Which one's harder? I, I mean, which one's harder to break the news? The release is harder to break the news. It seems like it would be, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and a lot of that comes from, you know, we're not, there's some teams in our league and you probably, if you were watching the transactions, they were churning and burning. Guys were always flying through and we were, we were making conscious efforts. We were making conscious decisions. We weren't making snap judgment decisions. Guys had to earn their job or lose their job. There was no like, Hey, you know, you went over four yesterday. See you later. You're out. It was like, Hey, try better tomorrow or don't, Hey, don't worry about today. Yesterday you were good. It's all in there. Let's go. And for what percentage of guys on an unaffiliated team players, is this their last shot? From our last year's team, four players are back in major league, minor league systems right now. So of the 25, you know, is it 20% this year? Well, 2021 was a unique year for a lot of different reasons. Nobody played except for the top prospects and major league baseball. Nobody played, nobody played competitive baseball. So there was no, there were a couple independent leagues here and there spattered throughout the country, but in all in all, almost no competitive baseball was being played. And so players who maybe got hurt late 19 and whether it was Tommy John or something else would never have the opportunity to earn that job back. And so Major League Baseball and these Major League Baseball teams were like, hey, we're going to go with the sure thing. So whether it was fringe guys or guys that got hurt who were in the middle of their rehab, they just cut them outright. They're like, hey, if he comes back, he comes back. And so a lot of our players were, this wasn't their last shot. It was, I got hurt in 19, whether it was early or late. In 20, nobody played competitively. And in 21, I don't have a bill of work Mm -hmm. to go off of. Um, and then there was a couple of the guys that were like, hey, this is your last shot. And so it was a combination. And then we had some really super young guys. Now, having Gary Van Toll as our manager and Boise State dropping their baseball team gave him automatically, I think there were four former Boise State players that were either in the system or he was recruiting that he wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. And he convinced them either you could go to college X and be the 24th man on the roster or start your professional career today and get paid to play baseball, which is essentially is the goal. And the major league teams, they're looking at our league. They're looking at our league for scouting, um, to fill rosters, and to find that diamond in the rough. And so this was either start your pr- professional career today, start being a pro, or go to college X, college Y, and maybe you get some playing And these kids are 19, 20 years old? Most of them, yeah. So uh, you had mentioned that 42 teams got contracted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know why, but can you explain why that happened to to the people out here? Rob Manfred is a genius. No, um, no, no. So, uh, so Major League Baseball had made the, had made a conscious decision that prior to 2020, a major league 
team, the New York Yankees, New York Mets, Houston Astros, could decide how many of the affiliates they had, how many players they, how many teams they wanted to to put together. Some teams had seven, some teams had four. And Major League Baseball basically, you know, there was a lot of pressure coming from throughout the country, pay these players more, play these minor league players more, get them better amenities. And Major League Baseball essentially in two years went out and did, whether it was covert or right in your face, kind of assessments of all of the baseball stadiums in affiliated baseball. And at the end of the day, they were like, you know what? Every team now gets four, competitive balance. There's only going to be four levels of baseball. Each of each affiliate gets four. That's 120. And they picked their 120 favorite stadiums. It wasn't markets, because obviously Boise's a great market. It wasn't ownership or management, because I think we're one of the best in the country. It was stadiums. And the list of 40 teams got kind of leaked probably October of 19 if I'm not remember if I'm not remembering it correctly and Boise was not on that list and we knew Memorial Stadium's 35 years old at this point and it's you know it has its challenges on the player development side um, which is all they cared about um, was having its challenges on the player development side and so we were like are you sure and they're like no you got you, know, you guys are good you have some hurdles to get over you've got some rope and so we thought we were in good shape. Those 40 teams, now they have the opportunity if they get on this, the 40 teams on the league list can now go out and lobby to either government agencies, investors, whatever, and be like, hey, we're in trouble, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. And some of those 40 got back on the list. And, and everyone and knew it was based mostly on stadium. I would say it was based exclusively on stadium. Because um, I don't care, you know, why would you go to the Tri-Cities <laughs> as opposed to Boise? I was going to say because there's an airport there, but there's an airport here too. <laughs> no offense to anybody who's from, who's the, from the Tri-Cities. The Tri-Cities. <laughs> I hear there's a really nice macaroni grill there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you got contracted, um, and it sounds like it came as a little bit of a shock. Uh, it came as a lot of a shock. Um, we got the phone call, ru- personally got the phone call probably about three hours before the announcement. What time of year was that? December 2020. Okay, so you have basically four months to regroup and find a league and put together a oh, team? Oh, we, we were in the league within a couple days. Okay. Because the, the prior uh, Pioneer League, which all eight teams got contracted, and they knew they were getting contracted from minute one. There was no coming on, coming off. That whole league was going to go. Um, those eight teams, one of them was saying, hey, we're moving to northern Colorado, so we're not playing. That gave us an opportunity to to jump into that league, to fin- to complete the eight. But this is a brand new world for you then. 100%. You got to put together a baseball team. Put together a baseball team. What's, you know, what's workers comp? How do I put together? But I don't have contract. I don't have a contract to work with. We didn't have a league president. Well, we had a league president, but we didn't have a league infrastructure. And so not only was each individual team, while on the surface, kind of like a duck, on the surface, if you went to a game last year, there was no difference. We were just better. Underneath the water. They're Underneath the water, madly. paddle and going crazy. Like, I don't know. A guy breaks his leg at second base. I got to try to schedule him a, a surgery wow. for his broken ankle at St. Luke's. And, and does the role of the, the team owner change in that scenario too? Correct. Yeah. How so? Um, I mean, they were, they were 
vastly important in helping us, you know, to have the conversations not only with ourselves. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, our team ownership is based out in Atlanta. And so there was a lot of being on the island on it. It's like, hey, don't worry. You know, we're going to we're going to help you and support you. They were critical in reaching out to other team owners and figuring out in independent leagues and figuring out, you know, what are you guys doing? Because there's other leagues we could take models from. And so they started almost once they heard the word that we were in independent ranks, they started getting on the phone and really being super helpful instead of me having to do it and figuring out how we're going to take care of the medical thing. They were critically important to figuring out, putting together at least the, the framework. And then it was my job with the ownership to kind of fill it in afterwards. It's interesting because I'm getting the sense, I would assume, and I wonder if everyone in this room would assume that you are a general manager of a baseball team and your primary function is assembling that roster and getting those people together. But I'm sensing... No. Because I've, I've asked you three times, like, how'd you get the players? <laughs> Gary does that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, did you guys hold an open tryout? We held an open tryout um, in April of last year. We signed two players for that open tryout. How, how much was that like the first week of American Idol? Very close to the first week of American real. Idol. <laughs> there, was some, there were some very talented players. Um, and really at the time we had done that, uh, we had done that tryout because at the end of April... Gary had most of his roster already put together. Now Gary had been in has been in affiliated baseball, college baseball. His his Rolodex is probably larger than many other managers in our league. And is having him as your manager attract more local players? Yeah. You know, he had we had three players that were hyper local. One was from Eagle, one played at Capitol High School, um, and one played at NNU. Uh, and then we had some Boise State, former Boise State players that were from elsewhere, played with him at Boise State for a year um, or didn't, or was recruited to play with him. And then he signed them also. So he used his Rolodex. He was very, um, very particular in what type of player he was looking at for as he built his roster. And then my job was to sign him, find him, <laughs> find him a hotel. Uh, Gary was working together with the host families to find them somewhere to live. Do you manage the budget too? I yeah. Fully so you have to it. tell him we can't afford it. Yes, that can't be easy. It gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, you know it, it's it it was hard. It's been it's been some interesting things because you know this is a lot of stuff that we really never had to worry about. Right. So your level of confidence must be going up. Every day, yeah. Every day, we—I mean, we were a team. Gary and I were a team as we were putting, as we were putting, building this franchise, and that's what I say we're doing. Is basically ever the the Boise Hawks as, as everybody knew it, um, on the back end, had kind of just fallen apart. Our sponsorship team was doing a great job. Our ticket team was doing a great job. Everything else was in was in place. Nothing was changing there, but everything on that one piece of budget budget line item where it's like baseball team. We didn't have any. We were like, all right, we got to feed these guys after the game. That was something the Rockies took care of. Um, so now we're going out and working with local businesses or doing it ourselves um, to get them a post-game meal and a pre-game meal. And hopefully Gary doesn't flip the spread after a bad game. He better not because, he's well, he's the one that's got to clean it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, I was very struck. Actually, I'll get to that later. Oh, boy. Something that didn't occur to me until I was talking to you before we got up here was that you got this job. You were elevated to this job from assistant GM in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that means your first season was supposed to be 2020. Correct. What happened instead? 
we didn't play any baseball. And what did that mean for you? Because I'll, I'll, I'll fold these together, what I was going to say before. So much of your job is filling the park. Yeah. So what did you do instead? So we, we uh, March of 2020 was a very interesting time because we, we had some great things happening for the team. We had started to hit some really good strides as an organization. Um, we had picked up Boise State baseball. So we had actually already started playing games at Memorial Stadium. Mm. Typically, Memorial Stadium wouldn't have started. We wouldn't have really started kicking off whether it was special events or baseball games till mid-May, early May, maybe even early June. February 28th was our first game. Boise State was playing, I think, Portland um, for their first game. So we the ballpark was up and ready. I mean, it was basically a Boise Hawks game. And we had nine of those games. And so we were like as a team, we were prepped. The ballpark was going there was no scramble. There was going to be no scramble around June for opening day because the ballpark had just had 29 games roll through, which had to feel great because it was your first season as GM. Mm -hmm. It felt awesome because we were just like I was I remember on February 28th, the scramble was just 3 months earlier. And there's always a scramble. It doesn't matter how doesn't matter how much you prep for opening day. Opening day will always be a disaster. <laughs> That's something. Eighteen years, I've you just settle with it. And we were ready. And an opening day for Boise State was a disaster, just as it was always going to be. But we had nine games. We were ready to go. This Boise State was going to finish their schedule. We would have had essentially a month off and picked up Boise Hawks baseball. And then COVID hit, right? And closes Boise, you know, closes Boise State baseball, and you know we're paying attention. We're watching the 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 long season teams. They start get everything just starts to slowly but surely, kind of crumble on the sports side of it. Nothing was coming back. Um, it wasn't until July first, if I'm not mistaken, where we got the the true word. Hey, we're not playing ball at no all season. So when you get that word, what happens to all of the part-time workers? We didn't even have a job fair last year hmm. or in 2020. Um, Which is that job fair coming up this year? Soon, I thought I saw a sign for April it. 23rd. April 23rd, if you're interested out there. Um, so we didn't even have a job fair in 2020. We, we made some, as an organization, we made some critical moves early as we saw this was going to be something, as we foresaw this was going to be something that wasn't going to be going away anytime soon. So in April, we made some personnel moves. Um, and then as the weather started to change, um, our our ownership team plus our management team got together and was like, all right, let's put together a game plan. And the game plan was, if we don't play any games, how can we keep this thing afloat-ish? And we had a venue. We had an outdoor venue as everything indoors was closing down mm -hmm. and everything outdoors was too scared to open up. Mm -hmm. We have an outdoor venue. We've got three acres where we could do essentially whatever we want. So we tried, um, we tried opening a restaurant in our picnic area, um, which went good. And then as <laughs> then things started to open up, outdoor eating started to open up. So that kind of went down. We partnered with a couple different organizations, Cornhole Idaho, um, which was they play cornhole and they played a tournament um, every I want to say every Wednesday it was every Tuesday or every Wednesday they would play at the ballpark and we could spread the cornhole boards all across the entire field everybody was social distance we sold them beers seltzers and hot dogs and it just gave us something to do mm -hmm. um, 
what was your personal frame of mind and how were you doing through that? It was, um, you know, it was a, it was a challenge for myself because, you know, I have a young staff and nobody knows, you know, young staff and a lot of them are, are kind of oh, separated from their families at this point. We've kind of built this, uh, Island of misfit toys out here as a staff. And it's like, you know, what's happening right now, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to help them out as much as they can, um, personally, professionally, um, financially, if we can. Well, and what an interesting position for you to be in, because this is your first go around as, you know, the Papa Bear. <laughs> and you're faced with extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, I would say I've been, it's been, a, it's been an interesting last two years for me. Mm-hmm. And sitting, you know, when I, on my first day at Lakewood on January 3rd, 2005, and I remember it like it was yesterday, I sat on the couch in the front office and I saw Jeff Brown, who was the general manager of the team at the time he walked by and he just had like a, and Jeff has been a fantastic mentor for me for my entire career. Um, I looked at, at, he walked by for the first time and I went, that's the guy I want to be. And it took me 17 years or 16 years to do it. And I finally sit in that seat. And then what happens? The world shuts down. So I, we world shuts down. We lose our affiliation. We move into independent baseball. It's like, what, what, what else could happen? What else you, know, what else, what else you got? <laughs> War. Okay, we got one of those going on right now. <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought up that Jeff Brown was your um, mentor because I was curious about two things. Um, a, you know, who your inspirations were, and, and mentors too. I think mm-hmm. they're two separate things. Yeah. And also, um, I'm sort of surprised that it was that far back that you decided this is my career. It was my first day. It was my first hour. My first hour sitting in a baseball office and a baseball team office and like i think this is something i could do for the rest of, the, of my of life of the thing you thought you'd try out for a year yeah i was just a, it was just a throwaway how i'll go back to law school make my mom happy i promise yeah we'll just do one season why not it's lake of blue claws it's been fun i used to go to games i didn't go to games as a kid but i used to go to games when i was in college it seemed like a good time mm-hmm. why not um once you decided that how did you go about getting it? Did you seek out mentors and inspirations or do you just kind of keep it in your back pocket? Like I'm just going to work really hard and, and see how this goes. I think that the the staff in Lakewood saw it relatively early um, that I was going to try to do everything I could um, to get there. Uh, uh, Jeff Brown, John Clark, who was the GM, AGM there, um, who have now moved, both moved on to, to greater things. I, I, I truly leaned on the two of them um, I tried to absorb as much as I could when it came to the sports world. I was just an intern. I was 22 years old. I didn't know nothing. Now I'm 40 years old and I still don't know nothing. <laughs> I learned something new every day. And the two the two um, operating owners that I work with now, uh, Jeff Eisenman and Missy Martin, I work with. Um, I learn from them every day on on so many different uh, levels and aspects of the business that it's fascinating to know how much I don't know. Mm-hmm. So you decided 17 years ago that you wanted to be the general manager of a minor league baseball team. Here you are. I know. What <laughs> comes next? I'm going to buy a team. You're going to buy a team. That my, what's next? I will be an owner of a team before and I it, die. And is, and it, is your niche minor league baseball? Yes. I don't think I could, you know, I, I, and that's a question I get asked a lot. It seems you like know. it's a different job. It's a completely different job. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've had some, in these 18 years, I've had such a, a, a great network built. So I have 
you know, I, I know people that work for the New York Yankees or the Oakland Athletics, and I, I'm not the guy that's going to wear a suit to work every day. I'm not the guy that, um, you know, I would go, you go, and, it, and working in sports now for 18 years, it changes how you attend a game even as a fan. Even if I was going to a Steelheads game, it's like I pick up trash. It doesn't matter if it's my ballpark or not. Um, I look at the line of the concession stand and I just like. Do you do you like think in terms of, well, I'd change that. I could do this a little better. Internally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you're change. not walking around announcing no, it. To not, people. Yeah. I'm not like, hey, can you get your boss over here? I'm going to tell <laughs> what he's doing wrong. No, I don't do that anymore. Anymore. No. Um, no, it changes the way that you, you, you truly watch a game or experience a game. And I think that's that's the, the best word I can describe is that we don't. You know, we don't, at least at the minor league level, and there's a different, you know, everybody comes to the game for a different reason. And experience is the one thing that um, I would say is what I try to, to try to do the much. The, the baseball on the field, even being the general manager, I can't control when what pitcher's coming out. That's Gary's job. Um, but I can control the fan experience. And so working at this level, at the minor league level, even if it was affiliated, unaffiliated, all the way up to AAA, it's where you get to that major leagues where everything becomes so segmented. You know, you you are the ticket sales guy, and you can only work in your your mm-hmm. lane. Now I walk around my ballpark, and whether it's if there's a long line in the concession stand, I can hop in the back in the concession stand, and while I'm not a very good cook, I can help. Mm-hmm. I can speed things up. I can talk to fans. I'm sorry, we're working as fast as we can. I can run food. I can, if someone gets sick um, and we need an on-field host, I've done that before. And what role, <clears throat> what role does community relations play? Or even what, how, what does it mean to you? Because that's also something that would be very different at the big league level. Yeah, yeah we're, community relations and getting involved in the community is kind of what, you know, is my thing. Um, is, you know, I'm the face of the organization when it comes mm-hmm. to it at the end of the day. Um, we have a mascot, which is great, and that's the cartoon face of the organization. But and it's being, a hawk. It's a hawk, Humphrey. Okay. Um, he looks like Woody Woodpecker. He didn't look like Woody Woodpecker when we um, were having him designed, but it's a great, it's a, it's a great costume. <laughs> it's a great costume that I'll never put on. Um, that's one thing you won't do <laughs> anymore. I, I would think I'm beyond that. I've done a... I've done enough mascot appearances in my life. Now, if somebody got sick and I had to jump into it, it'd be a rough day for me. But community is so important to me um, and it's so important to our organization. And in this past year, um, especially these past two years, especially is we're trying to do as as best we can. Um, You know, we don't have unlimited resources when it comes to cash about being involved in nonprofits, getting creative. We have um, thankfully we have truly the attention of the Treasure Valley during the summer. We know that the Steelheads get, you know, January, February, March, and April. We'll pick it up in May, take it to September, and then we know the Big Blue Monster takes over in September, and <laughs> and they and they dominate everything when it comes to that. Um, but we have the summertime, and our competition isn't, you know, isn't BSU. It isn't, um, it isn't the Steelheads. It's McCall. It's Cascade. It's leaving the city. It's uh, going into the mountains, and so. When I see fires on 55 or on 20, I'm like, if we got home games, I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> got to come to the Hawks game. Well, it seems like you've really taken to the area. How much, two parts, how much harder would your job be if you hadn't? And 
did you take to Augusta in this way? The job would be infinitely harder it if I truly like didn't it. take to the area. Um, and, you know, especially an area like this one um, or a market like this one, they can tell pretty quickly when you're faking it. Um, and I think that between the between the um, the corporate community and our fan base, they know that I'm not faking it. I truly love this. I'm trying to do as much as I can. I'm only one man. I'm only one organization um, to to drag, you know, to to drag this team into the true community spotlight. You know, if I can get to be the number two team in the market, um, that would be a truly truly. Um, uh, what's the word um, accomplishment. accomplishment accomplishment for me and our organization. And so working with our young staff and we, like I mentioned a couple of times, we have a young staff trying to get them out, trying to get them out in the community, be involved in nonprofits. Um, you know, we have staff mandated volunteer days mm. where we work with the Idaho food bank or other nonprofits where we're just trying to get the staff out of the office, get them away from their desk, away from their Amazon or away from their fantasy basketball team. And get them out into the community, meeting people, giving back to the community that's given so much to us, especially these past two years. But so if I'm skeptical Boise resident, I didn't try to say Idahoan again, but if I'm skeptical Boise resident, I say that's great. What are you giving to us besides that? Why, why should I come to a game? Why you should come to a Boise Hawks game is it starts with community. We're fun. Afford, we have a mission statement. Um I have a couple, I have two, two sayings that are written on, or three sayings that are written on my office wall. One is get to not got to, this is a job I get to do. I don't got to do it. And so that's the one, that's the one mantra when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I get to do this. Um, I get to do the fan experience type stuff, but our company um, mission statement is we provide for affordable family fun entertainment for everybody in the treasure Valley. We give a reason for fans to come out to every single game of the year. We're getting to the more experiential type of events, firework shows. Do you have any of those crazy minor league uh, promotions nights? Wednesdays are feed your face Wednesdays. Explain that. <laughs> so we have local res restaurants come out. We also provide free hot dogs, popcorn, peanuts, and every concession stand has a different menu item. And from the minute the gates open to the, Last pitch of the fourth inning, it's all you can eat. Does that, that does it ever backfire in like a, a fifteen cent beer night type of way? No, no, no. We've been we've been really good. Beer bats did backfire on us. Beer though. bats. We bought beer bats last year, um, very what, early. What are? It's a bat. It's a big. Oh, it's full it's of a, beer, and it's filled with beer, and they're twenty six ounces. And we ordered five hundred of them, like in February. They didn't show up until the last home stand of the year. Supply chain. Supply chain. Um, and we sold them all out in three days. And to the point where on day four, everyone's like, where's our beer? Because we promoted, hey, beer bats are here, beer bats are here. <clears throat> and then the Thursday rolls around of the home stand, and they're like, where are the beer bats? I was like, you guys bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> Here's so we bought idea. more for this year. Here's an idea, future promotion. You take those beer bats, you fill them up with beer, or people drink the beer, then they put the bat on the, bat, on the ground, with her nose on the bat, spin around 10 times, run to the out, make it a relay race. I'll be back to my first year picking up. <laughs> Did you have crazy promotions the back then? Uh, I'm trying to think of like some of the craziest promotions that we've, we've done. I've been pretty conservative in our promotions. 
um, for better or for worse. Well, but, but I think in that other podcast I listened to, you said that it's not a ballpark, it's a venue. Yes. Memorial Stadium is no longer a ballpark. And by that, you mean we put on stuff all year? Yeah. Okay. So our, our event schedules typically starts the first week of May, and our last event will be the last week of October. And so we're constantly trying to do new and exciting events and trying to bring, you know, for so many years, Memorial Stadium was the place where the Boise Hawks played their baseball games. We open on opening day and we close on the last game of the year. And now it's all about we're central to the valley. We have all the parking in the world. We have um, we have all the infrastructure we could possibly need. So we're doing events like Nitro Circus. We're doing events like concerts. Um, a beer fest, a tr- food truck rally, just trying to bring more and more people to Memorial Stadium as much as we can. Because as more and more people move to the Valley, some of them may not know we exist. Right. You know, we don't get we don't get great coverage from local media part. You know, from local media members, whether it's some TV, we get nothing out of print, um, and and some radio partnerships, um, and we're we're very happy with those, but. You know, for a, a new person coming to the a, a new resident coming to the valley, they may not know that there's a professional baseball team here, made of local talent that's trying to do trying to do good in the community, but also just trying to put on a good time. You know, a three hour vacation from their life. Nice. We've only got a few minutes left, but I did want to give you a chance to talk about the Sports Career Academy a little bit. Yeah. So we uh, we opened up this every year for eighteen years. Um, you know, we've worked with internship programs and one of the pro, you know, one of the programs that kind of relatively early in my career, I've always wanted to put together was this sports career academy type of thing is we've got young people throughout the entire valley, throughout the entire country who are super excited about getting involved in sports, but don't know how to do it um, and don't know what they want to do. And so the sports career academy is um, is for local college age Treasure Valley students who are going to BSU, C of I. NNU, CWI, to give them a taste of what working in sports is all about. And so they started uh, two weeks ago. We've got eight of them. Um, they come in a couple hours a week in this preseason, um, and they learn every part of the business, whether it's content creation as we move into a new digital landscape, ticket sales, group sales, baseball operations, um, with working with Gary and the analytics side of it and learning more about that baseball, food and beverage event services and so they're going to kind of rotate throughout the entire year and get a piece of every part of the business so that when they're done and they get school credit for it they get paid and they get school credit for it so at the end of the year they can come to us and say hey i really like this i didn't like that or i don't want to do this at all or i want your job Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to give us as an organization depth for the future as we need full-time staff members, but also using the 18-year network that I have and the network of some of my staff and the network of our ownership group to give them the opportunity to have that foot in the door if they want to move to Georgia or Texas or Indiana. They have somewhere to go, um, and they have someone that I can, they can say, hey, here's my resume. I saw a position with the Colts. Do you know anybody over there? Well, I don't know anybody with the Colts, but that's a bad example. But <laughs> at least it gives them the oppor- it gives them the opportunity to start their network early here in the Valley, find out what they want to do when it comes to sports, and then hopefully use that who use my network, use a network that our team has kind of created to get them a job somewhere. And is, are you the or only organization you know of doing something like this, or are others doing it? There's a couple that are doing it. Um, they're more sales based than than anything else. They kind of create these 
boot camp, these sales boot camps. This is one where I can truly take a look after um, really putting it together. And this is the first year that we've actually um, put it into into practice um, where it's a touching every piece of the business type of thing. You know, it's like mostly been sales, sales heavy. And then they will hire out of that. Um, this one is going to be like, hey, we don't know what you're going to. It could be marketing, content creation, food and beverage, merchandise. It could be any one of these pieces. So let's find out what you like, and then we're going to help you find a spot. Sounds great. We are out of time. So I'd like to thank everyone for coming. Thank you. Uh, most of all, I'd like to thank Mike Van Heis no, for being for my having guest. Um, is there anything, any um, websites, anything you want to tell people before we wrap it up? Tickets go on sale on May 2nd, boisehawks.com. Um, we just launched a new website and a new mobile app. Um, so just go to the app store, download the Boise Hawks app, or go to new, the, the new boisehawks.com. Um, we're very excited about what we put together. All right. And job fair, April 23rd. Job fair, April 23rd. All right. Thanks, everyone, for coming out. Thank you. Well, Okay. Christian, you get mm -hmm. some some surprising things there. Like for, I know some assumptions you might have made, like for instance, being a uh, general manager of a minor league baseball team is all about promotions. That is odd. You say yeah. he can't trade people. He, he doesn't really. Yeah, he's not involved in that sort of thing. Um, there's Does he ever of, wear the? Is it Humphrey the the hawk <laughs> outfit? <laughs> 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 no. But uh, I wish, it, well, maybe you never know. I guess he could. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and just, yeah, surprising. So much of it is about the ballpark itself and keeping that filled. Yeah. Um, yeah. But still, uh, I think Mike's great. He was a great interview. Uh, enthusiastic. Yeah. It a good time was had by all. I go to a lot of the, I shouldn't say a lot, a handful of those games every year. Um, and they're really fun. And I love minor league baseball. So now getting the inside scoop is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh yeah, so I guess right at this point, I want to say thanks to Mike. Mm -hmm. Who else do you want to thank? Thanks to Mike Prater, who hooked oh, us Mike up Prater with Prater, also, yeah. yes. Um, thanks to the Boise Hawks for being here. For being here. For now, I know we want to keep them alive. So they were vying for a new stadium um, at one point oh, they fairly were. recently, but that kind of got quashed. But but yeah, um, thanks support to Brett Battistain, who not only is the Eavesdrop Network boss, Maven, he's boss. the boss. But he recorded this. He did. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, he From, was there. Because he runs the pod. Well, he, even, he does the tech stuff at the podcast stage. He had a couple minions there doing some work too. Okay. And I was yeah. not in the room as yeah, mentioned. I but, know. But yeah, Brett Battison at eavesdrop, E-A-S-E-drop.com <clears throat> where you can find this podcast. But you can also find this podcast at all your major platforms and um, subscribe and like. And mm. I guess give us good ratings right mm -hmm. please mm -hmm. we're begging uh, <laughs> i don't like to beg okay and come to the social media and interact with us uh, facebook story forward group twitter and instagram story dot forward yeah nice work larry thanks Chris. that was great <laughs> see you next time and until then we want to keep the story moving forward